This is the podcast, and then she said, I'm your host, Ellie Blakesley. Welcome to this episode of our series, Shakespeare. For anyone who doesn't already know, I am a huge Shakespeare nerd. We come back to Shakespeare more than any other playwright or author, both in theater and in literature, and we use his plays to explore new ideas in theater, like representation and blind or inclusive casting. In this series, we'll explore productions of Shakespeare's plays that do something new or significant with representation or casting. Productions that use Shakespeare's familiar texts to tell the stories of people who haven't been adequately represented on stage. I'm Ellie Blakesley. My guest today is my cousin, Lucille. Hi. Introduce yourself, Lucille. <laughs> <laughs> I'm Lucille. I'm Ellie's gay cousin. We yeah. share a lot of the same interests. We do. I like that you had to specify that you're my gay cousin, where Curtis is my straight cousin. Well, I'm, I mean, I know you're bisexual, but I'm the gay cousin. I you are. Yeah. Categorically. Yeah, in the, like, every family has a gay cousin, that's it's you. It's me. It's yeah. not me. I pass for straight too easily. <laughs> <laughs> I'm happy to help. <laughs> <laughs> so today we're talking about the, the Twelfth Night that the National Theatre did. It's from the, the 2017 production um, that they aired last week as part of the National Theatre at Home thing that they're doing on YouTube. And it's so good. This production... <laughs> so good just like as a production of Twelfth Night and then watching it as a queer person I was like this is amazing look at all this queer representation and then like texted Lucille and was like you have to listen to this so here we are okay first a rundown of the plot of Twelfth Night this is this is great this is me being like the Shakespeare nerd gets to come out. Yeah, you get to take this over because the last time I saw Twelfth Night was She's the Man in ninth grade. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I got you. So, I'm not going to do scene by scene. No. <laughs> so, okay, so there are two plots. There's the A plot and the B plot. The A plot follows Viola, who is shipwrecked at the very beginning of the show and she washes up in this country that is not safe for her. And she disguises herself as her twin brother and goes to work for the Duke who rules the lands. Orsino, the Duke, is super in love with the Countess Olivia who wants nothing to do with him, but he can't take no for an answer. So he sends Viola, who's disguised as, uh, her, her persona as a man is named Cesario. And Orsino sends Cesario to woo Olivia for him. And Olivia falls head over heels in love for Cesario. Uh, and there begins the issues. <laughs> Basically, Viola has fallen in love with Orsino immediately. Olivia falls in love with Cesario. And is, like, trying to fend off her advances. And there's a lot of, a lot of good quips about, like, I am not what I seem, madam. Mm -hmm. So that's a plot. When we first get to Olivia's house... You meet the rest of her household, and um, in this production, the rest of her household is all female. In in the script, they're mostly male characters. There's, I think it's only Mariah who's female. All the other characters that you meet in Olivia's household are 
men, but in this production, they're all switched to women. There's a line in, in near the beginning that says Olivia has given up the company of men because she's in mourning for the death of her brother. And this production, they they took that and ran with it and have made all of the all of her servants, waiting people, they're all women. Anyway, the key person being Mavolio in this production is Mavolia, who's the steward. Very tight-laced, very by the book, in control of everybody. And everybody else in the household super does not like Mavolia. Like, she's a hard ass. She does not do fun. (laughs) So Olivia has an uncle named Sir Toby who's staying at the house, and he has a friend named Sir Andrew who's staying at the house. And they, they party it up all the time. Toby's in love with the servant Mariah. And then they're friends with the clown, Feste. And uh, one night they're getting super drunk and Malvolia catches them and rips them a new one. And obviously they are not pleased about it because Malvolia is really close to Olivia and can really fuck with their lives. So they come up with this plan to get back at Malvolia where Mariah can essentially copy Olivia's handwriting. And she writes this love letter that's super cryptic and they leave it for Malvolia to find, suggests in the letter that Olivia is in love with Malvolia. And there's never actually any explanation for why they decide that this is gonna work so well. They're very confident it's gonna work. In the way that all B-plots in Shakespeare comedies are just, <laughs> really, you know, this will, this will go fine. Just accept it. And Malvolia immediately is like, oh my God, this is amazing. And in the letter, it specifies that she should appear before Olivia in cross-gartered yellow stockings, which Malvolia is a Puritan, and in Shakespearean England, for a Puritan to wear cross-gartered yellow stockings would be so much more shocking than we can imagine. That's uh, pretty damn shocking as it is. <laughs> but uh, yeah, yes, it's a lot. So off Malvolia goes, this plot has worked. And meanwhile, Olivia is trying to get Cesario to stick around. Orsino. Orsino and Cesario have a lot of chemistry, but they're kind of not acknowledging it, which is an interesting thing to talk about in this production that we'll get back to. And eventually we find out that Viola's twin, Sebastian, has in fact survived this shipwreck that she thought he died in. He was saved by this guy named Antonio. They're now super close. Fun fact, Antonio is one of the Shakespeare characters that is widely recognized to be gay in the text. And some productions lean into that and some don't. And Antonio's like, okay, I hear you, but I also love you, so I'm coming anyway. Um, and, uh, and then, you know, it all comes out. Uh, Sebastian comes across Olivia, who thinks he's Cesario, talks him into marriage, and Sebastian's like, I, yeah, all right, sure. And then Orsino shows up later that day to court Olivia in person. And Olivia's like, Cesario, what the fuck are you doing? We literally just got married. Why are you ignoring me? And Orsino's like, I beg your fucking pardon? What is happening? And then in the middle of this scene, the twins come out. And uh, everyone's like, oh my god, there are two of them. And uh, 
Orsino and Viola get together and Sebastian and Olivia are married. It varies a lot in how they react to that news, which I really liked in this production. Meanwhile, before the twins meet again, uh, oh my god, I like did never came back to B-plot. Hold on. So, while all the, the misguided courting was going on, Malvolio shows up in front of Olivia in cross-guarded yellow stockings. This production was um, flashier than that. We'll come back to that. <laughs> um, and, Malvol- and Olivia's like, uh, okay, this is weird. What's going on? And Mariah says, I think Malvolia might be mad. This is like so out of character. I bet she's crazy. And Olivia says, we'll let her be looked to and, uh, and trust her people to take care of it. So they lock Malvolia in essentially like a, like a dark room. Sometimes it's a cell, some dark place. And Feste, who's the fool, masquerades as the priest and like has this whole banter between playing herself and playing the priest while Malvolia is blindfolded. And it's pretty cruel. They are awful to her. And it's, it, so in every Shakespeare play, regardless of whether it's a comedy or a tragedy, there's at least one scene that goes against that characterization. There's one, one scene in every comedy that's pretty serious that you're like, whoa, that's a lot. What's happening right now? And this is that scene that you're like, this joke has been taken way too far. Yeah, it gets a little disturbing. It's, yeah. And I feel like, I feel like in this production, I was like, this is, why does this feel so much crueler than usual? Yeah. Because she was a woman. She was a woman. Anyway, so they leave Malvolia in this dark house. They were caught up back to the, the twins have met. The couples are paired off. And eventually Malvolia comes, comes in front of them. And the whole trick comes out because Olivia says, this isn't, like, I, I don't know what you're talking about, Malvolia. This isn't my handwriting. And Feste confesses. Feste and Fabian, who's one of the other conspirators, they don't, they kind of don't do anything about it. Olivia um, apologizes and Malvolia kind of stiffens up and brushes a few bit off and leaves and says, I'll be revenged on the whole pack of you. It's a nice little dark moment again at the end of the play. But, you know, it's a comedy because everybody gets married at the end. So that's, that's Twelfth Night. There was, okay, there were some bits that we left out, but it's okay. So this production, Tamsin Gregg, who plays Malvolia, I watched a bunch of interviews with her. So there's, I'm going to be doing a lot of quoting of her. She's brilliant. When she was first approached to play Malvolia by the director, Simon Godwin, that, you know, they they talked a lot about, was this going to be her playing a male character as a woman? Was it going to be a female character? And uh, she talked in one interview about the conversation that they had as a company um, and making it, being very careful to make sure it's not a homophobic act this mm-hmm. that's played on Malvolia. And I, I think that's so important because it, it could have so easily become that. Um, and, it, you know, just because there's nothing in the text 
that would suggest that. I mean, there are mannerisms that you could communicate that with very clearly. Right, absolutely. Um, but I, I think just the fact that her character is, you know, a female character in the in the version is disturbing enough and adds like that element of it. Yeah. Almost like I, I feel like it could have been totally over the top. Um, yeah. Kind of like horrifying. But you know, it is a comedy. So. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I think also there's such validity in, in going, we know it could become that and we don't want it to become that. We're going to make sure that, right, that, yeah. that it doesn't go there. Um, which the first time I was watching it, I was like, there is no indication from anybody that they're disgusted or upset or anything about Malvolio being a woman who's interested in a woman. Like the atmosphere of queer acceptance in this play was so awesome. Yeah. <laughs> um, like there's, you know, well, okay, we'll get to that in a minute. But Sir Toby and Sir Andrew are, they could so easily become the like stereotypical homophobic straight guys. And they don't. Like none of them have, seem to have any issue with it. Like they don't like, that Malvolia is interested in Olivia because they think it's reaching above her station and they don't like Malvolio because they think she's an asshole to them, but they don't, they don't give a shit that she's interested in women. Yeah. And kind of with almost all the male characters who stay male in this version, they kind of lean into like a little bit of fluidity, you know, the way that <laughs> Sir Andrew dresses comes to mind, but like <laughs> by adding in that kind of, yeah by adding, adding in that kind of element to their characters, it kind of takes away from that, I don't know, that idea of like, these people are different from us, you know, which yeah. it doesn't really come through at all. Yeah, it, I wish, <laughs> I wish it wasn't so weird to, to be like, it could only be a conscious choice, but I feel like it's, it's not as common as I'd like it to be. It, it clearly mm -hmm. is the conscious choice they've made as a, as a company and as a production. Yeah, and that's interesting too, like Sir Andrew and Sir Toby are like, they're kind of buffoons. Yeah. And they are, like, they are in the text. That's how they are. They're silly and ridiculous. And Sir Andrew, he's not the brightest bulb in the, uh, in the <laughs> box. He tries, but he's not. But you're right. It is, it's nice that all of the men are kind of fluid, which is the, so... Oh, Definitely oh, Orsino, right. which is a nice... <laughs> yes. Yeah. So, usually, Orsino and Viola's chemistry is initially, like, kind of bro-y, and then at some point, like, their faces get too close, and they're like, is this sexual chemistry? What's happening? And Orsino, like, totally goes, no homo, and then nothing comes out until the very end when she's revealed to be a woman. In this production, Oliver <laughs> Chris, who I love so much... Like in scene one with them together, they had great chemistry. They like immediately were like, oh, chemistry. Like they were, he was kind of like a little shy about it where he was like, oh, do I, do I like this person? But there was no, there was no crisis over it. He was just like, oh, oh, oh all right. Like in that way that like when you're flirting with somebody new and you're like, are you, are you interested? But like, it was great. And then, and they just like kept it going the whole show. It was wonderful. I certainly <laughs> love Oliver Chris. I think he's brilliant. 
his Orsino was great because he's such a he's such a dude, bro. Mm. But he's so lovable. He's like so. This Orsino, Orsino always is kind of like still pursuing Olivia because it's what he's been doing and it's, he's in the habit. Mm-hmm. But this Orsino was like definitely just still in the habit of pursuing her and like didn't kind of didn't <laughs> care that much and was like yeah. way more interested in Viola. And it was it was nice. It, it was refreshing to see this characterization of Orsino, who is very like stereotypically masculine but has no issue with falling for a guy. Also, like, Oliver Chris is just a delight. We saw him yeah, yeah. in the um, Bridge Midsummer Night's Dream this summer as Oberon. Which was so good. Oh, my God. <laughs> but, um, no, I like about Orsino, his... If you make it so that he kind of only falls in love with Viola once she's revealed to be female, it kind of feels like he's just going for whoever the most available woman is but this you definitely get the sense that he's kind of just he's out at olivia's door with the teddy bear and the flowers because that's what he's been doing forever and he's just gonna keep doing it and then he actually does end up falling in love with someone else yeah which is nice <laughs> yeah and it's nice to see that progression of them being really mm-hmm. attracted to each other and like forming this really solid friendship and falling in love and then it's not like the friendship turns to romantic love when as soon as she's revealed a woman. Right. Like, it's it was already going down that path. Yeah. Yeah. And it it feels better to have the the clean ending with the marriages if you have like a basis for that, which is yeah. Which like is the problem in a lot of comedies where you're like, these characters know anything about each other? I don't know what's happening right now. <laughs> and so the one thing that I had issue with. He has this beautiful thing of, you know, not having any issue with Cesario being a man the whole time where he's just kind of cautious about it. And then at the very end, when she's revealed to be a woman, he like, he goes, yes, which like, it was funny. It was a good comic moment. And like, sure, you could argue that he's reacting because it's easier for her to be a woman like he doesn't have to deal with the whole like questioning his sexuality thing but like he was so far down that road already at this yeah that this character made and i thought i think it would have been great for him to be like oh cool all right that's chill and it's not a big deal Especially because well, immediately after that, you know, they do have him make out with Sebastian. So, <laughs> oh, oh, so in this production, the only main characters of color are Viola and Sebastian. Everybody else who's a main character is white. And I was talking to one of my friends that I watched this with, and he pointed out yeah, that it's yeah. only the two characters of color that the white people get mixed up. And that's I love that little that's detail. So funny. <laughs> I love it so much. I mean, like the twins always get mixed up, but like it just adds an extra layer of Oh yeah. god, it's so funny. And there's so there's a bit that Orsino like turns to Sebastian by accident at the end and is like being all romantic. And the the two of them, Sebastian and Viola, were like looking at each other like, uh, okay, uh, oh and she was like, just go with it, just go with it. I'll 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 get you, I'll pay you back later. Um, it was great but it's so right that it's like oh yeah stereotypical white people Um, yeah (laughs) (laughs) 
No, but I do like that they we like this production because even with the themes of like gender fluidity that the text has, you know, everyone still ends up wrapped up nicely in their heterosexual pairing off. But this production is like, but could have gone the other way. <laughs> yeah. yeah, which I think is is really interesting. And actually, I was talking with a friend earlier about. So usually at the end, Olivia is still kind of happy with how things have worked out. And there's, they just, it, most productions kind of gloss over the fact that she's just married a complete stranger who's not the person she's in love with. And this production, they like, Olivia was properly disappointed. And I think it, I don't know like where this would fit in, but I think it, it would be so interesting to, to see if finding out that Viola is a woman made any difference for Olivia and like whether that attraction has changed at all. And it's it, it, like, it was great too watching her be awkward with Sebastian because usually like they're very coupley up until Olivia realizes it's not Cesario. <laughs> watching her have that change where they're suddenly they were both like, oh, this is not what we thought was happening. Was It was a nice <laughs> contrast to see opposite Viola and Orsino. Yeah. Yeah. And the other nice kind of casual queer character is Antonio, who's Sebastian's friend. And um, I mean, productions vary all over. Sometimes they're just bros. Um, some productions have them in bed together in the scene where Sebastian is leaving. This production chose to acknowledge that Antonio is gay without having them be in a relationship, which is nice because then you don't have the weird thing of Sebastian immediately being like, yeah, I'll marry you, stranger, strange woman that I've only just met. <laughs> so they, Antonio kissed Sebastian to be like, no, I love you. I'm going to come with you. And it's, they walked that line of acceptance without disgust. Mm -hmm. like, there wasn't even a moment of like pushing him away. Mm -hmm. He let himself be kissed and acknowledged like, oh, I'm, I'm hearing you. The, like the, the expression of feelings that you're sharing with me. Um, without it being like, oh, bro, no. Like, which obviously nobody wants to be rejected. But when you're expressing feelings for somebody, especially a friend who's the same gender as you, and you're not sure that they're even interested in your gender, much less you as a person, I, like you're aware of that risk of like, oh, this person might be disgusted by me now. Mm -hmm. And I love, I love that that was not a thing, which was, it wasn't a thing for Malvolia and Olivia either. She's worried. Olivia's like, what the fuck is happening? What, what's happening to you? Yeah. But she's, she's but, yeah, worried because Malvolia is acting out of character, not because mm -hmm. she's hitting on her. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, I thought it, it adds a whole kind of depth, which obviously a lot of productions of Twelfth Night lean into that, but it adds that depth to like Antonio just being totally devoted to him and following him. And then yeah. that like heartbreak moment when um, Cesario doesn't recognize him oh. just makes it more oh. heartbreaking because you're like, no. It's so sad. Every single production, Antonio, like the look of heartbreak on Antonio's face, mm -hmm. whether they're just friends or whatever, like he's always so devoted to Sebastian that there's, there is, there's a scene where Antonio um, saves Cesario from a duel. And uh, and then asks for the return of some money that he lent Sebastian, 
because he's been captured by the guards because he's a wanted fugitive in this country. And, uh, and Cesaro's like, bro, I straight up don't know you. And it's so sad. Yeah. Oh, you said something earlier about the general gender fluidity in this play, which is true. Like in the text, there are males and females getting confused for each other. And then in the original productions, it was male actors dressing up as female characters who were pretending to be men. Um, like there's just a whole complex sexual charade going on anyway. And that in one of these interviews I watched with Tamsin Gregg, she was talking about like, that leads to a whole discussion of authenticity and, and who are you and how do you see yourself and how is that different from how the world sees you? She told this story um, about how she gets called sir constantly, but she thinks of herself as very womanly, which she's like, that's a, that's a discrepancy that I don't understand. Well, there's just so much more opportunity now to lean into that, even with the same text. You yeah. can cast female actors over the line and just make it a lot more overt what the play is actually talking about. Yeah. That, you know, you couldn't explore. And I think, I think this is a really interesting way to gender swap some of the characters because they don't, we don't need to do gender swaps that just make it more heterosexual relationships. Like a female Orsino and male Viola wouldn't do anything for me. If it was a swap just for the sake of swapping genders, because that's quote unquote interesting. Like the Midsummer Night's Dream that the bridge did this past summer in 2019, where they, they swapped Titania and Oberon's storylines. They didn't change the genders of the characters, but they swapped the role that those characters play in the story. And that was super interesting because it changed all the power dynamics between those two characters and the way that they interact with the rest of the world while still keeping it a heterosexual relationship, but the character, the female character had the power instead of the male character. That's super interesting. But having a female Orsino and a male Viola just for the sake of having them be the opposite gender wouldn't that wouldn't be that interesting for me. But adding in these characters and allowing for these explorations of queerness and of female cruelty, one of the other things that Tamsin and Greg talks about a lot is exploring the dynamic between Malvolia and Feste and like what about Feste allows her to be so cruel to Malvolia. Feste is also supposed to be a man. Tamsin and Greg talked about that in I think the interview we both watched, which is they didn't change the language that they used to talk about Festi. So they yeah. still use male pronouns versus Malvolia. They change everything. Um, yeah, they took out all references in the text to Malvolia being a man. And she said mm. actually that she also, she didn't want her to have any references to being a woman. Like they didn't change them. They took them out where yeah, yeah. Feste, they kept in all the references to fellow. Because Feste kind of doesn't play by the same rules as everybody else in the play. Yeah. Uh, she's allowed to go everywhere, like she can enter both houses. She kind of doesn't have restrictions placed on her because she's a traveling musician, fool. And all fools in Shakespeare speak the truth. They're the characters yeah, yeah. that are allowed to speak the harsh truths to royalty or nobility or whatever and not be punished for it. Looking at that in relation to Malvolia, we're like, Malvolia's entire storyline up until this scene where she's in the dark house is about control. She's got to have control over herself and the people around her and her environment. And she keeps everything very ordered. 
and, um, and this is me talking about what things Tamsin Grigg has said again. She talks about order as safety because control comes from, the need for control comes from fear. And they were really interested in looking at the dynamic between order and chaos. I like that in this production, well, I guess in all productions, but her part of her attraction to Olivia is about having power over people who have already wronged her. Like she's fantasizing in the garden about being able to tell off Sir Toby because he's the worst and he goes against everything she stands for. Yeah. And if she's, you know, on equal station with Olivia, she can do whatever she wants with him. Yeah. And but there, you know, there's that element of like personal attraction, but it's it's very much about power and about her station. And that's it's all <laughs> Malvolia has no issue with self-love. Um, more quoting of Tamsin Greg. Uh, she talks about Malvolia never actually talks about being in love with Olivia. She talks about being loved. What she's concerned with is receiving love. Yeah, she only talks about Olivia loving her. Um, she sees this thing that she desires that's outside of herself, but she kind of doesn't see herself. She talks about it too, because Malvolia is a Puritan, she, you know, and she follow, she's very controlled and very ordered. So she follows instructions and the instruction of like, love your neighbor like yourself. Well, you better love yourself then. And Malvolia has no issue with that. She is absolutely sure about herself. Um, yeah, she's sure that she's the, you know, the righteous character. Yeah. And that she just needs to be recognized by Olivia yeah, as being yeah. right. And then she can have, you know, yeah. the power in the situation. She doesn't seem to be concerned about rejection at all. It's just about showing everybody else how wonderful she is. Which <laughs> brings us to the cross-garden stockings scene. <laughs> so usually, in a normal production, Malvolio is played by a 50-something man who comes out in these, like, sunshine yellow stockings with black cross garters and you know struts about the stage some tramps and greg <laughs> said you know in a in a modern production with a female malvolia you'd be like that's a cool that's a cool outfit like you know how fashion forward so they had to they had to do something bigger and she talks about like some of the inspiration she had was from popcorn kernels and that you have the kernel itself and it's hard and impenetrable, but you put a little heat under it and then it explodes into something entirely unrecognizable. And uh, Malvolia is very much the same. She is like tight and black and ordered and then you put a little heat of potential love and she explodes <laughs> into something totally unrecognizable. And yeah, yellow- it's quite a look. Floofy, it's floofy and uh, I, I was reading a different interview where she said when they were coming up with this, she was like, well, you know, I have teenage daughters. What would they definitely not want to see me do? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but I think that's, that fits the bill. It's, she's wearing like yellow lingerie, like a yellow bodysuit. It's very structured and yellow tights with cross garters and heels. And she has this like big poofy white mini dress on top that she like strip teases off as she's singing and uh and she, then she strips off like a little skirt that she's wearing and uh she gets to the end of the song she's like little twirly things on her boobs that she spins it is a, a spectacle it is it's a lot 
yeah and i mean there's that that's still that thing of like it's so much more humiliating i've seen male production male versions of malvolio where it's just like yeah he looks stupid yeah and obviously olivia doesn't like the look but this is just like a whole level beyond that of just watching this like shame happening in real time is just like almost unwatchable even though (laughs) obviously Jansen Greg is living it up but (laughs) but it's just so hard to watch yeah and the fact that like when they put her in her cell after that she's still in the you know the tattered remains of the outfit is just it's bad it's not heartbreaking um like reminder of your embarrassment the whole time Mm -hmm. but that's I think so I I agree I think you're right that most production was with a male Malvolio especially the Elizabethan ones where everybody's in rough yeah yeah and all that because we don't have the context now of how shocking it is for a puritan to appear in yellow stockings we it kind of goes over our heads and we're like yeah he looks silly whatever i think this this production it communicates how shocking and embarrassing it is so much more clearly it's one of those things of like modernizing this aspect of a shakespeare play gives us a better understanding of what is in the text um, Mm -hmm. than it would be doing it like Shakespeare did it, quote unquote. I also like at the very end, like even after that whole reveal, there's like the second reveal where she takes off her Puritan bangs wig thing. And she has like the short hair underneath, which also plays with the gender roles and her identity, but also like is just that extra level of vulnerability that she's not really yeah. revealing her true self until the very end and then obviously yeah. she climbs up into the rafters but I thought that was interesting too she this like dark bob with bangs that she's in the whole mm-hmm. show seems like another mask and and I have this idea yeah. of, I mean we don't I don't think we see any other indication of this but that taking off the wig at the very end right before she exits that like short blonde haircut is something you see a lot in the queer female community and wouldn't it be interesting if this Malvolia who's attracted to women just isn't she just isn't out at work and she you know she does accept that part of herself she doesn't seem to have any issue or any kind of struggle with her sexuality which fits into this world that they've created of queer being totally normal but like wouldn't it be interesting so there's this scene where Antonio has told Sebastian to go to this bar called the Elephant for safety and in this production they made it a a drag bar and there's a drag queen who sings an excellent rendition of to be or not to be set to music um wouldn't it be great if we see Malvolia without the wig who's there and then when everybody from work starts showing up she like runs out and slips out and yeah I just I think that's yeah another another moment of shedding off layers i would just like personally to see that entire production of hamlet but you know truly give me drag hamlet the last thing that i that i had thought of talking about female cruelty and female anger and the way generally because women are not allowed to express anger in the same way that men are when a woman loses her temper she's further into being angry than a man would be to lose his temper. Like, if, I th- feel like if we saw a male feste doing that torture scene 
exactly how that female feste did, it would look like we would laugh because it would be it would be so far that it it wouldn't fit in the same way. But because women have to hold on to that emotion and hold it in because God forbid a woman express any quote unquote male emotions, when she does lose her temper, she's really fucking angry. And this feste is fed up with Malvolia. And it, like once they get into the trick and and uh, start getting back at her, it, it kind of snowballs and doesn't stop. Yeah, even at the, the beginning when you're introduced to Feste and Malvolia, that like dynamic is straight away introduced. So you get like that, which is t a totally different dynamic from a male Feste and a female Malvolia. You just have like this sense of such a backstory of like simmering hatred between these two characters and then it just finally explodes which is you're right is totally specific to that casting yeah anyway uh, probably the best 12th night i've ever seen so good by the time this pop except of course for amanda Bynes. <laughs> <laughs> i literally made a reference today to the bit where nobody believes she's a woman and so she flashes everybody at the soccer game what a time. Oh, Amanda Bynes. Um, yeah, by the Sorry, time- Sorry, I interrupted you, go ahead. Okay, by the time this episode comes out, uh, it will not be on YouTube anymore, but I think it's on Digital Theater Plus. Have a look around. It, you probably can't find it for free anymore, but if you can find it and you can afford it, it's so good. And yeah. um, National Theater does the a National Theater at Home screening every Thursday at 7 p.m. UK time. I'm not getting any money for promoting this. I just think it's neat. I want them to do Cyrano again so we can talk about it. Or we can just talk about it. Really? <laughs> Cyrano was so good. Um, it was fantastic. They're doing Frankenstein this week Ooh. with Benedict Cumberbatch and Johnny Lee Miller, who alternate- oh, the one where they switched back and forth. They yeah. They're doing it Thursday night and Friday night so you can see it both ways. Nice. So. We should do a like a, a thanks for chatting <laughs> and yeah. then just keep talking. So cool. Thanks for uh, thanks for coming to chat with me about Twelfth Night. Thanks for having me on the show. It's been a blast. Oh my god. <laughs> <laughs> oh, this is what I get for getting sibling figures on. Anybody who doesn't know, I'm an only child. So Curtis and Lucille are my closest to siblings that I got. And I should have yeah. known. <laughs> there was going to be a moment of sass in here somewhere. Anyway, cool. <laughs> Did we do a sign off? I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> um, it was sarcastic. I didn't do it seriously. That's okay. No, it was, I think that's fine for you to say, though. Well, thank you for tuning in. Uh, if you have thoughts or comments or anything you want to share, give us an email at and then she said pod at gmail.com. And, uh, subscribe, review, send out the word, share it with your friends, anybody you think might be interested, and uh, I hope you tune in next time for whatever we talk about next. Should there be a goodbye at the end of that? Bye!